Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. I, I did now. Okay. All right. Okay. Welcome to Legacy Matters. Welcome. Thanks for tuning Everybody. in. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. Hi, James. Hi, Sarah. James, Sarah, Sam. We're all We're here all today. Here. I'm yep. off of my hot air balloon ride. Yeah. How was it? Did you uh, like it? It was very peaceful. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's I didn't good. float off into space. Yeah. You I didn't, wish. You didn't fall I out. I did yep. not fall out. That's the number one thing is that you don't fall out of those hot air Right. I'm balloons. learning the levers and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. But that's cool. Was it loud too? It's loud up there, I isn't it? I bought my earplugs. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. Good. 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 So, so I know you had a little picnic up in the... you guys always the, like this? Is that... <laughs> it's just, you know, oh, we're reading. Happen from from her you know, hot air balloon. Crazy week. Crazy <laughs> yeah. week. So, welcome right. everybody. Um, just a quick reminder to like, subscribe, leave a review if you're so inclined on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Ooh, you're really going deep. Wherever we're kind of all over the place. Yeah. Uh, send us an email at info at legacymatterspodcast.com. We do welcome any suggestions and constructive criticism. But I hopefully, like it. hopefully, it's all good. So. It's usually pretty good, usually, so we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Okay, Grandma Tadja. A little yep. weather check, Jim. Weather. So we're we're busting into March. It's uh, March second, I believe, mm-hmm. today. So um, spring. Yeah, I don't know. It's warm. It's nice. Snow's melting. Ice is melting. You can walk on the sidewalks without. Oh, you know, slipping and breaking your neck. Melt overnight. And then right. But it's pretty nice today. It was a great is. weekend. 40s. There you go. Yeah. Pretty solid. Okay. Seems like we are getting into spring. We are. So, uh, we have a guest with us today. Yep. We do. Are we ready for this? Yeah. Yep. I think right. so. I feel ready. Okay. And, you know, I always get a little ner- nervous around names, but I got this one. I got this one. <laughs> we, got, we got Will Steger in with us today. Uh, welcome, Will. Good to be Hi, here. Will. Hi, Will. Thanks, Thanks for, coming for coming in. Great space here. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's mostly I, Jim. It is. I got to give Jim's Jim credit. Yeah, it used to just be my art studio here, and then um, you know Sam then moved in, and Kinda then Sarah moved it. in. So now I don't get a lot of time to paint, but that's all right. How long have you had the place? Uh, it's been about four years now. Good. So, but I've been in Northeast here for you know twenty years. Awesome. So. Uh, after MCAD, kind of migrated over here and MCAD. Did yep. You, did you, did yep. you work there? I well, I went to school there. Okay. Yep. Great. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's uh, Northeast has done a lot of changing, but the space is great. So now we're podcasting and working and doing Everybody everything we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know what it means, but I like it because we get to have conversations with people in Meet our interesting community. Interesting people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, so let's see. We reached out a while back, and you agreed to come in and do this. Do you, uh, I have, I wonder, like we saw you at a. Uh, we saw you with Don Shelby at the climate. Uh, uh, it was at um, the Wyzetta Country oh, Club. Oh, Wyzetta, you guys yep, were there. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't. You know, you can avoid this if you. I'm <laughs> just wondering, like it. It looks like you and Don have known each other for a while when you're... We have, a long time. Uh, okay. Yeah, since yeah. the 80s, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mid-80s. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, he came in and did a show. That was a lot of fun to sort of get to know him. He's become kind of a, a friend of the company and a friend of the show. So yeah, he's a great man. He supports a lot of artists. And he does behind mm-hmm. him, a lot of people. Yeah, so, yeah he's a man of many faces and yeah. <laughs> many skills. Yeah, he was a climber when he was younger. Oh, you know, uh, he would know that. You know, he was. That's a shared yeah. thing then between yeah. the two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, that you did mention that in your in your speech that day that you started out kind of climbing at an early, in not like the early days of climbing because certainly people had climbed things before that, but early days of modern climbing, kind of right. Yeah, back in I started in 1960, 1960 actually climbing. Okay. Uh, back then there wasn't any North Face or Patagonia. Mm-hmm. You couldn't you couldn't readily go buy things. No, I bought a, a hemp rope out of the hardware store. Yeah, that and, ought to do it. And checked a, a <laughs> book out of the Minneapolis Public Library, which oh, was wow. actually on 14th and uh, Hennepin back then. That was the early, mm. early library. Okay. And uh, learned about, you know, how to tie knots and that and went to Taylor's Falls and started climbing. And were you by yourself when you started? Yeah, I was alone, but I always, always, always good at recruiting people into my yeah. projects. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I, had, I had a couple of close friends that we worked together and they were... Yeah, as motivated as I was, so mm-hmm. and everyone survived it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, well, I, the, climbing just scares me in that way. I've, I worked with kids for a long time, and I knew a lot of kids yeah. who yeah. got into climbing, and I was just worried, like, yeah. don't don't not come back. Yeah, you know. Mm. Well, it's just straight up rock climbing. Um, I actually taught it at Outward Bound in the seventies too, and um, and it's it's quite safe. Yeah, but when you're when you're up in higher elevation doing crazy things like walls and that. I, I was on an expedition in, uh, let's see, 19, 1965. I joined it. I was a real neophyte at that time, but there were some really good climbers in the Proving Andes, and uh, a couple people died on that expedition. Oh, fell, yeah. uh, 20,000 feet went down, a couple thousand. We had a barium there in a crevasse, uh, and that was, a, you know, it was pretty sobering. Yeah. And uh, for myself, I... I love climbing and I love the north and the the north uh, eventually won out. That right. that accident wasn't you know, didn't really set me back, but but um, I just fell in love with the north. I had done a couple of very long uh, kayak expeditions uh, two years before that. Uh, I did a, I kayaked up the inside passage of Alaska and then crossed the mountains into the um, headwaters of the Yukon River. Okay, and then we kayaked down that to the Arctic Circle, and that was my first experience i didn't know if i'd come back again but i got i met some of the old timers from the gold rush of 1989 back then they were in wow. cabins <laughs> wow and uh <clears throat> we were just kids 17 and you know never had any you, said exp- you'd, you didn't know if you'd come back well Did i you mean you thought yeah like you i was might- really threatened by me and my partner john kepler and when we met these old timers in their cabins you know we warmed up and complained a lot about the bugs and the rapids and the cold water sure. And they said, you know, mark my word, boys, you'll be back. And hmm. so the next year I did a 3,000-mile kayak trip. And then that was followed by... Where'd you go on that one? That one we left in the southern Canadian Rockies in, the, in uh, Jasper, Alberta, in the headwaters of the Athabasca River. Yeah. And we, ki- we kayaked. We didn't canoe. We kayaked the Athabasca Slave and McKenzie to the Arctic Ocean, no about 2,500 miles. And then in order to get home, we had to cross the northernmost part, uh, range of the... Um, Rocky Mountains called the Richardson Mountains. Yep. We crossed up over that and then down into Alaska and then we paddled south to Alaska 
and eventually made it out to Fairbanks at the end of <laughs> August. What? And, and then hitchhiked home. <laughs> and class. hitchhiked and home. Hitchhiked yeah. home. <laughs> so, well, 4,400 miles. <laughs> wow. I have, uh, I have paddled, not, not extensively like yeah. that, but I've, I've taken three trips up to Hudson Bay. Oh, yeah. What, what rivers did you do? Uh, the Hayes, yeah. the Churchill, yep. and then the uh, Wolverine into the Seal. Yeah, okay, where is the Wolverine? The Wolverine starts uh, north. There's, there's a really big lake up there, Nijanalini. Yeah. Um, but it starts up in Nunavut, travels yeah. south into the Seal, and then yeah. out yeah. to the Seal. Okay, yeah, yeah, that route, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that route. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of Wolverine rivers, but yeah. No, right. No, you've been around, so you yeah, understand so, cold water and the whole bugs. Oh, I know everything. Flies. Yes. Oh, the <laughs> Not black mosquitoes, flies. black flies. Yeah, and you can't describe to people exactly. Like, they're no. they're like a gnat on steroids, kind of. Mm-hmm. They're just like swarming around you at all Well, time. and you don't even really necessarily know they're there, but yeah. you know because you, there's blood dripping off the back of your ear. And oh. They take bites out oh. of you. They're really mean. And they crawl and they bite multiple times. Right. They come in by your color or your waist. Uh, they're they're horrible, hideous. Yeah. yeah. They're like the worst thing. And, and yeah. I'm, I know you know this, but like for people who don't understand it, when you get off the... Like the mosquitoes up in the subarctic and the Arctic are are so incredibly bad, but they're big and slow and dumb, and you can kind of brush them all off your hands. Uh, but the clouds of bugs mm-hmm. that are around right. you in those places is unfathomable. Yeah. We woke up a few times. I've been in a very high Arctic. When we crossed the Richardson's there, yeah, yeah, very very bad mosquitoes there and black flies. But we woke and it was twenty four hour light. Yeah. We woke up in the morning several times thinking that um, the sun had set. It was dark, but it, <laughs> but it was all bugs on the, trying to get in on you. And you can get this, like a science fiction movie. You hear this. <laughs> that could make, a, that could make that, a good uh, horror movie. Yeah, uh, right? yeah it's, I'd be. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it, it will drive you crazy if you don't. Yeah, I've had kids. I, I've had kids literally break down. Anxiety, cry, yeah. And, and, you know, unconsolable for hours sort of rocking back and forth like you got to get these bugs away you got to get these bugs away and you put them in their tent and tell them to get some sleep and feed them and hope the wind's blowing the next day so they're not as bad so what group were you were you leading a group when you went yeah I, I worked for a for a boys camp thing <laughs> these two i talk about camp all the time this usually is the section of the show that you know we just talk boys camp you know <laughs> well, when i say we i mean sam so yeah. right yeah i worked for a boys camp for almost 20 years and i i guided yeah. I got it a lot more trips in uh, southern Manitoba and southern Ontario, yeah. all over the place. But I took those three up to the bay. Yeah. Beautiful areas up there. Yeah. Oh God, I love it. I miss it. I, and I mean, I go. I take a trip generally every year, but they're not as long or as venturous, mm-hmm. venturous as they once mm-hmm. were. But and I've driven up the uh, up to Alaska and you know spent a little time on the on the Athabasca, and that's kind of. Yeah. What what part of the Athabasca? Where would that have been? Was it Jasper? Did you leave in the mountains? Yeah. So we drove from here up through yeah. Whitehorse. Yeah. So oh, way up there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So wherever, it, wherever, I think it was just on the other side of Whitehorse that yeah. you eventually hit the, yeah. the Athabasca. Yeah. But that's got, it's a very fabled canoe route from the fur trade era. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, I, I guess the question I would have. That's a lot of miles. What kind of kayaks were you? What did they have when you <laughs> yeah, were doing this? Well, I got all my ideas from National Geographic magazine because as <laughs> sure. a kid, that's all there was for a venture of any interest. And uh, the, the photographs in there kind of wrap my dreams around. But there was a kayak uh, 
expedition on the Yukon. There's also a German guy that in the 50s sailed a double kayak, a klepper kayak, a foldable boat across the Atlantic. That really caught my attention as a young kid. Uh, there wasn't any of the fiberglass kayaks that you have right now. Right, or, or plastic. Uh, now yeah, either. it wasn't that plastic type kayak, but it was the klepper kayak, which was actually quite stable. There's a double and a single, and you could collapse it. Okay. And for shipping up uh, and coming back, it was real easy. We could always just ship it home. And then we weren't burdened with a lot of supplies coming back. It, it was stable. And, and, and do, they, do they handle a rock? Like, can you... Pretty well. You don't want to go down like uh, shallow rivers with a lot of rocks. You sure. run into problem. But they're very big, very good on open water. Okay. Is it more of a sea, sea kayak size then? No, it's a little wider. It's wider and stable. Okay. It, it has tubes on either side that you blow up, and that stabilizes. It's a, it's a brilliant oh, design. Sure. They're still out there too. Uh, and they're actually uh, uh, kayaking and then went with canoes, but then now you're back into these collapsible canoes. That's yeah. very popular. That's, that makes sense. And Klepper was probably the first, one of the first probably to with the collapsible utilize canoe. that collapsible. I've never, I've always been in, you know, in big plastic boats really, but never with a spray skirt or anything, yeah. just always open, open, old town trippers is what yeah. we always used. Then we, we used, uh, when the fiberglass came on board, the plastic boats, it was fiberglass back then. Then yeah. we, we, we evolved quickly to those because you could roll, roll them right. a little bit faster. So saw the evolution of that in climbing. I climbed and kayaked um, all through the 60s in Minnesota. Never saw another climber or kayaker. Hmm. And then it just took off in the seventies. Yeah, and uh, so. And what? What do you think brought that on? Uh, people just weren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think maybe mass media a little bit, uh, accessibility. I mean, North Face didn't come on. Um, uh, they didn't go outside of. Uh, they started in the late eighties, where they really caught on. In the nineties, nineteen nineties, when they went uh, international. Mm-hmm. So up until that time, there wasn't a lot of people doing things. There's professionals, but not, not in mass. And that in mass movement probably started right around 1990. Uh, and Are that you familiar with that? Because did they sponsor you and stuff? Or what? Yeah, they did. I, yeah, I've, okay. I've worked. I, I've designed um, all through my life clothing. So, and then my expeditions, I would design with. I designed with North Face for three years in Patagonia and uh, Sarah Designs. Um, yeah. Uh, all these companies over time and it was an opportunity there to uh, design equipment would usually on these major trips we'd go two or three two trainings before and then the major so it would usually almost be a three-year period but on the training expeditions we would design come back redesign then redesign again so I had this design redesign opportunity for almost 20 years and Hmm. I specialized in outer gear I, I didn't have a brand of my own Right. And I, I designed a lot of the vertical zippers. I brought mm. that on in the in the late seventies. Uh, <laughs> really? It just made a lot of sense <laughs> yeah. because you had um, you had the regular pockets, which didn't work well for a Gore-Tex because you had a seam there that where the water backed up. And sure. In the cold weather, you can't access pockets, low pockets. You, right. You can go across your chest on either side with your hand. And, and that I, was you. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense, yeah. I brought the uh, reflective roping, rope materials yeah. into clothing, which is used all over. Yep. Uh, I, I worked with a fellow from 3M. He w- worked for 3M, but then he uh, moved out in his own company. And he had these reflective patches, which we used for our logos and flags. And yeah. I remember in uh, 1990, I asked him, oh, can you weave that into like a little rope type thing? He said, oh, sure, no problem. <laughs> so we did that. I w- worked for Land's End at that time. 
Okay. And then that design caught on immediately because it was safety. Yeah, yeah I uh, mean, at, mm-hmm. at night, mm-hmm. all our tents and all uh, our clothing, yeah, got a everything little stripe of something that shows up. And uh, we use our patches on our clothing uh, for safety, too. If there's a blizzard or something happening, you could see people. We always would have a flagship. By, you could identify a person by just looking at them. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, so it was a real sa- uh, safety uh, thing, and then now it's all over the, over the place. But I did a lot of designs and hoods. My, my specialty was the extreme outerwear. So mm-hmm. the hood designs and that that are used all over, uh, and it was it was a great time to, you know, experiment like that. Yeah. And then the Steger Mucklock was I should go on record. That's that, that that's not my company. That's my former wife Patty's company. She founded okay. that herself. And when we were married, we traveled together. Patty's a designer. Okay. And that's how we met. I needed a fashion designer or uh, a no clothing. Cl- clothing. Clothing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I needed some. And she she designed. We worked on our own clothing. For about five six years before I, you know, came up on the North Pole in '86 is where I became public. But uh, years before that, I mean, we we traveled a year and a half or two years, uh, seven thousand miles, by, <laughs> and then we dog packed over, you know, in the summer, and we ended up rafting our dogs in order to get out in Alaska. We were up north of the Arctic Circle in the Brooks Range and built a raft and flew <laughs> built the dogs. A raft. Yeah, how did you yeah, build a raft? We had a there's a small town by the name of Bettles, yeah. Bettles, Alaska. So. We had barrels, and uh, we we borrowed a chainsaw from one of the missionaries, <laughs> yeah. and we went upstream on a borrow the motorboat, and we cut big beams with a chainsaw, uh-huh. and then we floated those down, and then we <laughs> with got the barrels. You know, then we picked up barrels, and yeah. the uh, uh, FAA, the Federal Aviation. There's a, a small town, but there was an agency there, and they they had a band, banding machine, metal band bands. Oh, so yeah. they banded together this huge raft. Mm-hmm. We had a dog team. We floated down with the dog team for. All summer Did, uh, to the Bering Sea. <laughs> so to the Bering Sea. Yeah, you know, here, here's here's <laughs> the so thing with with even that. you know. So I know you're coming in. I'm thinking about it, and and it always the question is is what is what is the scariest thing that's happened? I mean, I and I'm envisioning you on the side of a cliff climbing. I mean, yeah. you you can't you know once you're there. I mean. <laughs> You know, how, you can't say, can someone just please get me off here? Yeah, you can't no. quit. And and that's what I, yeah. all of the things that you're doing, yeah. you can't quit. You can't stop. No, you have to keep going mm-hmm. forward. So that's a good question. Um, when I was 18, I climbing is where I kind of met my edge. At yeah. the point where my, some of my first lead climbing, which was really terrifying. But I reached the edge and... Um, you know, I was almost freaking out, but I managed to just get in, in the moment and yeah. calm down. And, you know, I was standing on a inch and a half ledge, which all of a sudden I realized, why am I scared? That's a pretty solid place. It's not, that's a lot of ledge. Not, not a ledge, not <laughs> a quarter, <laughs> that's an eighth of an inch. Uh-huh. So I just mellowed out. Mm. And I got in probably in the moment for the first time. I heard all the birds, everything that was going around me, the route which I was panicking on it was stu- making stupid moves mm-hmm. and i just calmed down and yeah panic there. will kill you and then um and that was the first time i met my edge and after that was over with that day um i wanted to do more you know it was not a thrill seeker but it was just that moment of of, of excellence and um i realized i wanted to experience more i had to build my skills mm-hmm. up and so i've lived you know, uh, in this moment, and um, as long as I'm in the moment, in most cases, you know, I'm totally, totally safe. Well, you I, seem to manage 
you, you managed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've only had one episode in my life where things were totally out of control. And this was in 1995. We were um, set out to do the first crossing by dog team across the Arctic Ocean. We left Russia uh, March 8th, it was. That was going to be a question of mine is having been up in, you know, not in the Arctic, but subarctic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I never have really looked into it. Do you have to take those trips in the winter or in the summer because it's yeah, the those, ice? Those are winter, yeah. You have to. There's, there's uh, up in the polar, this is in the polar regions. Uh, uh, there you get five months of darkness, five yeah. months of sun with a in between twilight, yeah. uh, fast fast change of seasons. So, so uh, when you're anything like going to the North Pole in '86 or crossing the Arctic Ocean in '95, um, you leave right around March March 8th is what was the perfect date because that's when the sun first comes up. You can't leave earlier because of the darkness. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And, uh, that's a, how you would even manage? But I, I made a, I made a uh, error in '95 in that I, I did all the research. There were other expeditions that left at this particular point okay. uh, in Russia, and it's b- brutally cold at that time. It's 55 below. You want that cold weather because of the ice, but but there was what was called the shear zone uh, from the land to the solid. Uh, main pack ice of the Arctic Ocean, which is the size of the United States and Mexico. Uh, that's you know, generally not real stable ice, but it's thick ice and it's predictable. But there was a 30, 30 mile zone of thinner ice that was very dangerous because they can break up at any time. And that's in the shallower regions yeah, around? Yeah, shallower re- regions okay. there. And so, so all the research I did was that if long as you left by March 8th, you're okay. I did not factor in uh, global warming into that equation because sure. it was early on. It was my big mistake I made, but you know, you, I learned. Uh, so we left uh, three years before I predicted March 8th. We were right on course. Uh, we left March 8th. It was clear, uh, 55 below, just the perfect day because it looked like we were going to race across. There's pretty good ice there and get onto the main pack. And we were out probably about 10 miles, maybe 15 out. And what happened is a storm came up, and, and generally you, you, know, you can tell the storms by the clouds, high clouds, but in this case, the storm came up from uh, Alaska, which was probably about 2,000 miles away. It was a gigantic storm, and the pressure of the ice, the wind in that, went, the changes happened through the ice. The ice You're started right. moving, without, and there wasn't the, I couldn't read it uh, because there wasn't any sign of it, but it, it was transferred through that 2,000 miles of ice, and all of a sudden, well, actually, I was in the in the back sled, and there was some commotion behind a pressure ridge, and I went up and around it, and here were two people that were just came off the ice and out of the water, and uh, and there was a dog team with one of the Danish the Danish team member. His dog team went in, uh, and this is deep water and 55 below, and then he tried to pull the dogs out, and he got tangled and got pulled in mm. into the ice, and then Victor, my Russian friend, jumped in to save Ulrich. And then I came just as these two guys got out of the ice, and we yanked the dogs out, and everything was freezing. So we <clears throat> put them in a tent. Uh, first thing you do is try to warm them up, get them some yeah. soup. And just as we we're trying to get them going, all of a sudden the ice all around us start breaking up. Yeah. And the sleds start moving, and it was just a, just a terrorizing thing. So we did a forced three-day retreat back to land, because at first the wind was blowing from the land to the open uh, to the, it, it, for, at to first, the, the yeah, bank. first the, actually the wind was coming from north to south, blowing into land, 
and we were on the shear zone when it was being crushed. Yeah. And then uh, those two nights that we were out, we had to go straight. Uh, only only maybe five hours, six hours of twilight, and then darkness. But we literally, I mean, all the things went wrong. We had two a uh, couple polar bears that were actually stalking us. Yeah. They were, that was I mean, going to be a question of mine because I've know, been up in polar bear country. Uh, and bears are generally curious, but these were extremely dangerous. Yeah. And then, um, and then the wind shifted, and we started blowing out to the open ocean. Right. But we kept going, and then, uh, and then when we made it to land, I had a mutiny. I actually had a mutiny going between the British guy and the Danish guy. <laughs> uh, not a good place to. Oh boy. Not not a good so, place to quit. But so it was they over. they go in and they come back out of the water. It's fifty five below, yeah. right? So does everything just freeze Freezes instantly? instantly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like armor. How, how do you get them out of that? I That's mean, how a does that problem? You gotta gotta get them into a warm space where you can melt it a little bit in a tent with a stove. But uh, but that was totally totally out of control. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we ended up going back to where we our base, which was two hundred miles back. But then we we did a second attempt after that. How'd the second attempt go? <laughs> well, a little better. Um, <laughs> actual, you know, you know, Rein, Reinhold Mesner is the yeah, I know very the famous climber, a yeah. good friend of mine. Um, he did a solo Everest without oxygen and okay. many others. He's one of the best ever climbers. And um, he was going to attempt to do with his brother Herbert to do the first uh, crossing by, by you know, skis. Okay. And then we traveled up to position together, and then we flipped the coin. They went first. So they were out about, when we left on land, they were already out. And, um, and they, they almost died. They were very lucky because they didn't have any experience about the ice. But at middle of the night, the, the ice all around them broke up. Yeah. And then they, I mean, they got out so quick. They were in their stocking feet and, and had to get out with knives, cut the, cut the tent out and pull the tent out of the water. And then their sled, then two sleds were crushed and went under. But fortunately, there wasn't really, they had an emergency beacon, which, you know, th- these were brand new at the time. Yeah, we, what year is this? This was in 95. Yeah, I mean, but even if you got the beacon. He got a beacon. His wife got the message. And, and these beacons weren't just out like they I are have now. Mine, you know. And then his wife, then they had a response thing, and the helicopters picked him up. But then after, Oh, they did? Yeah, they okay. rescued him. And then then the right after us, the next day when the storm was, there was a team of uh, Koreans. Eight of them left. They marched out into the storm. And then when we were back at the weather station recuperating, uh, these these uh, Koreans, no word from them at all. And so I made a decision that if these guys totally disappeared, we'd pack it up. But then after a week, we had radio contact with them, and they had floated out through the open water and came out on the pack ice. So, <laughs> I mean, it was just a total rout. And, wow. Uh, so, uh, I mean, that is... That is amazing. So this, what you're describing with a storm in Alaska and the ice crushing. Russia, you know, Russia, yeah. You, right, Russian but, side. but you're on the Russian side. You were on the, the Russian side. The storm came up from Alaska 2,000 yeah. miles away, and then the pressure of the ice is where it started breaking up in clear weather, which caught us. Yeah, this, I want to describe this because I'm not sure that, that our listeners might not understand that exact mechanism, but um, I, had my, I, was, I had my boat parked about, I have a little canoe, uh, it was about 30, 40 feet up the rocks on Lake Superior. Uh, it was my friend's wedding. I was at my friend's wedding. I brought my boat with, right? And calm day, not a, not a cloud in the sky. And the next thing you know, they're telling me that my boat is underwater. <laughs> because 
there's a storm on the it. other side of the lake yep. that that's pushing a surge across the lake you can't see yep. it yep. it's not there and that's the same mechanism same mechanism on ice yeah, yeah. Yep. holy crap that would be <laughs> that was pretty bad i mean <laughs> That's pretty uh, bad. We traveled. Um, I mean, it was really stressful getting this expedition. Uh, I had to borrow 180,000 at the very end because we didn't have money to leave Minneapolis, sure. and and we traveled, chartered a, a jet from a Canadian jet from here to St. Petersburg, and then we had all the festivities and all that and interviews, and I literally had, didn't sleep for two mo- two weeks, and then and then finally when we were on the ice, I thought, okay, I'm gonna rest up, and then. Yeah. This hit us at the wrong part, and I, you know, we all came down. I came down real bad because I was probably the most stressed out from mm. all the responsibilities, and and um, it, it was very difficult, very very difficult. And well, but but you, all of the humans and all the dogs, you made it out alive out of that. Yeah, That's I, I've been very very lucky. Um, I've never had any major accident. You know, I, I right. knock on wood every day, but. But uh, and you and you know it can happen any time. But really, preparation and you know, fortune is, plays into it too. But no doubt. Uh, but but the training and the and the preparation is really really essential. Yeah, uh, to to smaller degrees, I've had s- sort of similarly life-threatening situations on canoe trips. Yeah. When you're, you know, anytime you are even with your emergency beacon maybe days away from help yeah. and you're out in the wilderness somewhere, mm-hmm. something could happen. Yeah. But part of the safety is really, um, it's almost like a sixth sense. It's almost like native intelligence yeah. of knowing things intuitively, mm-hmm. sense words. And you, you know, I, I can do scientifically read the weather and so forth, but there's, there's an intuition like to hunting and everything involved. Uh, and and that, that's being, um, um, in the space, in the zone, you know, on, uh, on the yeah. edge. That's that's how you. That's really what it's all about. It's just being in that present. It's yeah. like a moment. form of meditation. I was going to say. Yeah, it's right? yeah, very much so. And uh-huh. it's um, leading a team can be stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've had teams that worked real well, and I had team like on that expedition, some real difficult. Sounds like you had some trouble with the team. Yeah, yeah, it was very difficult. <laughs> and at the same time, you're almost dead with exhaustion you're mm-hmm. dealing right. with all, all these things and you've got sponsors and yeah. everybody else i mean and I, and any of these major expeditions i did uh, a failure would mean i would lose everything i i would have to start my life over which actually in all the is that true i mean you, you think if if you had a failure on that that no one would ever trust you to take another expedition? well i'd be in debt so i'd have to pay mm-hmm. sell my home mm-hmm. and, and sure. start over and anyway the, i the idea of uh, starting over is actually appealing but but um, <laughs> but I don't think that way because if I do, I'll make it happen. Right, mm-hmm. right. And uh, so I mean, I, it's also your thoughts are energy, so mm-hmm. you, you project that. Mm-hmm. So 100%. you know, you gotta. Yeah. And uh, I do. It's, I, I do want to go back before we we'll take a quick break here shortly. But um, I'm intrigued by the you are rafting down the river in a homemade raft with it was you just you and your wife and some dogs is that no so my partner bob mantel and i i traveled that, patty and i traveled for about half a year and, and bob bob and i traveled a year of that okay the so partner of that i traveled with a lot we, and we, what year was that roughly? that was a 83 okay and and so i'm just curious because when we go when i take a trip uh, you check in with the RCMP. You let them know that you're you're traveling from yep. this point to that point. Yeah, very wise. Yep, and and you know then you you strike off on a three week long canoe trip, and what happens happens. No one no mm-hmm. one really knows 
where you're going to be. They and we've just been, know you're starting and ending. Yeah, and we've been hit by terrible storms, and you know, and the last few trips, I guess, the last couple of trips, I had sat phones, but before that, it was we didn't have sat phones, no beacons or anything, and now we carry the spot beacon. And, yeah, but but when you when you got on that raft, like, are there are you going past any civilization or yeah is it, th- this is does in, anyone uh, know where you are no one there's word maybe care? there wasn't when we got down into the yukon we're kind of traveled up down river but we're we're within a native you know there's some villages here and there yeah. so we're a native country there yeah we're uh other areas like polar areas and that um those there's nobody lives there yeah and you're on your own and uh but that that i considered you know i didn't even think about safety there because you know we had dogs and it was summer and uh, we built the raft real well. Uh, that was probably thirty six then. Okay, you were thirty six. Thirty six. Okay. Time. Yeah. I just wonder, like, like you don't show up somewhere for two weeks. Does anyone know? Well, you know, when I did this eighty two eighty three trip, uh, that seven thousand miles, well, through Canada, we didn't have a. We had a beacon that the National Guard gave us, but we figured it didn't even work. <laughs> and it was it wasn't you know we, but that was sort of psychological yeah but we did we never had our radios and people did not know where where we were and we had we did run out of food uh, uh when there was game around i mean if you run out of food and you're in an area where there's no game or in the polar regions you're you're in a bad situation but yeah we basically also hunted along the way do you fish to survive mainly just hunting caribou or seal yeah so, but but then that's another issue in itself that when you're out of food, um, and you're 300 miles from the nearest village, um, you have to have a lot of faith in your ability to hunt. Mm-hmm. But, but the key there is, I always knew where the caribou were, you know, within you know 50, 60 miles. So. Uh, that, that's that. That's what I. How did you know where the caribou? Well, I'm getting this. I, I mean, you rely on your instinct yeah. quite a bit instinct and your gut. They, mm-hmm. they travel. You get as much information as you can in any village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and up and when I've traveled for 55 years in these villages, and I know in a lot of these villages, I know three generations of people. But and, and they they respect anyone that come in into I, their village. But when you come in by a dog team or whatever. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, and um, so I always meet with the the elders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's usually the the children or the grandchildren that translate. And uh, when I was traveling with Patty for that age, she would meet with the elder women to learn about the mukluks. That's where she came up with the mukluk design. But uh, in any village, I would always talk with the elders, and you know, I basically listen to them talk. But their world is game, you know, wind. And that's what they talk about. And but again, uh, I also try um, uh, when I get information like that. I uh, depends on my source, but a lot of times I, I might take it as a grain of salt because I have to factor in my view on it. I traveled with a young guy solo. We traveled together about twelve hundred miles. I dog sledded in eighty-five from Ely to Point Barrow, Alaska, which is <laughs> <Okay>. five thousand miles, <laughs> yep. to prove the National Geographic and my sponsors I could do the North Pole the year before uh, that yeah and it was, a, it was a remarkable great trip for me but i traveled with a young guy a great friend of mine now uh, lance he was maybe 24 and uh we traveled for a thousand miles and then we were isolated in a cabin one evening fortunately to find it and there was a little tension with him he got all upset with me and he said you know the native people always tell you where to go and you 
go just the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and he got so upset about that. But you, but like anything, you've got to weigh your yeah. your evidence. But the, you know what? The older elders, they they know the land. Uh-huh. But also, I know the land. I read the land because I know where the animals migrate and where mm-hmm. they don't, where they're there, where they would probably be. And all, I'm also always uh, when I'm traveling in the winter, you may not see uh, the game, but you see their footprints and yeah. you see their life at, it being played out in front of you constantly. So I'm always aware of, of and I can predict where the animals are a lot. And uh, and then same thing with seals. But you you have to be a you ha- you have to have. The basic of the northern, the Inuit and the northern uh, Native people, the basics of their spirituality or their life is respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a respect for everything, not mm-hmm. this, I just respect you. Absolutely. It's, they, they live in this world of respect and, um, and, and uh, reverence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and a lot of people use uh, gratitude, reverence, and all this. They, they wear it in their sleeves in a city, but it, it's not a concept. It's, it's, it's a state of awareness um, and you have to be in that state and you are pretty reverent uh, if you're not you, you become that way maybe but but there is, there is more to it than just being a good shot oh, and figuring out the animals um, and you 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 travel the land with reverence and respect and and um, then the, the right things come to you and that's very yep. true in life mm-hmm. because if you go the opposite things will not come mm-hmm. to you that's a principle I think people if, mm-hmm. if it's your so I, you know, I've spent a lot of time up in those places, and I hunt too. And and I think if if your mindset is that you're there and you're above it and you can conquer it, mm-hmm. that's when it will conquer mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. You know, versus if you are there and you have a reverence for mm-hmm. every part of it, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I haven't traveled across the Arctic, yeah. <laughs> but I get what you're talking no, about exactly. because yeah. you have to. You just won't make it otherwise no. if you don't. If you don't look at things and. It's a humility too, right? Yeah, I, I mean, guess it's, in a way. It's, yeah. it's all much bigger uh-huh. than us, no mm-hmm. doubt. Well, I think even the way you describe like the rock, I mean, I, I'm envisioning, I go back to that, but you become part of that. Yeah, exactly. Part of that environment. Yeah. I mean, when you're, I mean, your whole body is up yeah. against something and yeah. you're mm-hmm. kind of like in this relationship yeah. with The smell with, and everything. With mm-hmm. it, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's really tough going. But it's a very peaceful state to be in. I mean, oh, yeah. it's the, the only state, actually, if you can do it. And um, that's where the, where the la- uh, answers are in, in that state of being in the moment. Because it's, and you come down to it, that's all there is. There isn't a yesterday or tomorrow, right. but we all live in that in our head. We live in our thought processes, our mm-hmm. concepts, and how we view the world, and, what, and we're always getting upset, and we're interacting yeah. to everything that comes to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's... That's a diff- that's a world that we live in basically, but the other world is, um, you know, you're always going to have something that's going to come up in your life. You don't, you know, take the magic carpet through your life because shit happens every that's time, right. and, and it's just the way how you handle that. It, yeah. Does it take you and you react and you get angry or whatever you're going to do with it? Yeah. So um, I mean, I've never thought of it in those terms, but as basically what you're saying is the other world is timeless, right? The yeah, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I I know what you're talking exist. about. I know it instinctively yeah. from being there, yeah. and you know, and from and from being able to sit in those moments and yeah. look off and say, "Hey, boys, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to hit shore soon because I know the weather's changing." And they're like, yeah. "What are you talking about?" Like, I just know it's coming. Mm-hmm. But I know what you mean. It's timeless in a certain yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, would you say so? One of the questions I'm thinking of. 
as you're talking, you know, I'm thinking, what is the driving force, you know, that, that started early on with you, you know, mm-hmm. and do you, you know, and you mentioned about proving to National Geographic that you could do something. I don't think yeah. that's, that's one thing. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. But at an early age, yeah. you were doing things just for yourself. Yeah. And, yeah. and it seems to me it's yeah. to reach that sort yeah. of mental place. Yeah. Well, like proving to geographic was just a good excuse for a nice long trip. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of, so yeah. I didn't, I didn't uh, when I was younger, you know, of course I wanted to be first and stuff. And that, that's, yeah. that's typical when you're a teenager, maybe younger 20s. But, but through my, you know, experience or interaction with, you know, hardships and that, you know, that, that was not, you know, it was really the nature of that kind of mm-hmm. know of me inside. Um, it was first, uh, my life was determined actually in childhood because I had a great, great parents and nine kids and we lived in uh, the early days in Richfield with one bathroom and so forth. But, oh. but um, I, I love the big family and the tolerance and friendships that we all had and the parents had a loving relationship. So we, I was stable as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my dad was an entrepreneur and, and, and supported his nine kids by his ideas, which were, again, risky, mm-hmm. you know, but when you're doing a, a small business, you know, uh, it's one thing doing your own and you go broke, that's fine, you can start over, but you got nine kids to feed. So, you know, uh, so we were given this freedom to do pretty much what we wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. providing we had certain grade point average and, you know, you couldn't get in trouble with the law and you could do whatever you wanted to, but we had to pay for it. So I, mean, and sure. I always worked hard and I had the discipline because I, I basically followed my dreams. But what the, the way the parents raised me looking back was I didn't see barriers. If I wanted to do something, I just did it. Mm-hmm. So I never. You were given that freedom. Yeah, I was given and they that let freedom. You make mistakes. And I took the Yukon and then the McKinsey and the climbing. And, and, and it, it wasn't really proving that, that 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 disappeared for me. Fortunately, when at a young age, uh, but it was um, just not having the barriers. The barrier is always your mind. Right. I mean, the, the the thinking is what you feel almost always in your mind before you get to any big event, and even on a big something happening it's usually your mind that will there's also times to back down i mean mm-hmm. it's not like you're charging forward you you've got to be prudent and wise mm-hmm. i'm 75 i'm still living so far and uh you know i've never <laughs> you're still alive neighbor, you're here. neighbors succumb you know succumb to the so you know i did something right and that i'm preca- i'm cautious yeah and if it's if things don't look good i'm gone i don't care i just i won't do it or i'll yeah you gotta pull trust in a rescue I, i've had four major expeditions where I backed down on, yeah. and um, on all four of them were life-changing events. And then three of them I went back, just regrouped like the one in 95 and yeah. did them. The only expedition, I, tried, I attempted a solo from the uh, North Pole during the summer. I was dropped off by a Russian icebreaker on the North Pole in uh, July 1st of 97. Okay. And then, and I can't believe I tried this, but, <laughs> but I got into a, a very precarious situation with ice and so forth. And yeah. I, I organized my own rescue because there was a, I knew when at a certain time the, another icebreaker was gonna be in that area. So I positioned myself in that area. But that one I never could, uh, never returned to do it because global warming, that it's impossible yeah. to do, do that now. Yeah, things are changing. Well, do you guys want to take a, a yeah, short we'll break? Take a quick yeah, break. sure. Oof. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll shift gears when we. Yeah, 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 we will. We can, yeah. All right. Let's get all the heavy yeah. stuff. <laughs> wow. I gotta use your. Today's show is brought to you by the Andalan app. 
a first-of-its-kind digital legacy preservation app that allows you to digitally attach photos, videos, and audio recordings to the places and objects you love. Imagine hearing your grandmother's voice telling the stories of your family heirlooms. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andolin, available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andolin.app for more information. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what is not? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeler servicing residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consultation. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. His strong connections in the Minnesota art world give him a unique perspective on the talented pool of artists from our region. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. All right. Do you want to go on a wilderness adventure with me, Sam? Or maybe you know a group of kids who could benefit from an extended break from their electronics. Or maybe you just need a break from those kids. Visit earthedfound.org for more information about how to get started. For information about becoming a sponsor of Legacy Matters, please visit LegacyMattersPodcast.com. We're back, back from our little break. Back yep. here. So, Will, yeah, uh, while we were on this break, I was thinking about, you know, you coming from this really large family and i have no idea when your parents you know passed away or anything like that but um you know did they see your like what i'm getting at is you know one day you leave and you climb a rock you come back Mm -hmm. were you able to come back and say oh what did you do today will and you said i climbed a rock or i went on a journey yeah yeah well we yeah i never talked about things i did when i was younger and then it was always around the big, ta- we had a rigor table. There's a benches on each side and the parents on each ends. And, classic. And, and it was, yeah. I mean, it was just a classic how things were that the family would get together around dinner and they, they would talk about your homework or whatever it might yeah. be. But I would always, there I would always just share some of the experiences with the, my brothers and sisters and parents. And it wasn't like spellbound. I was just kind of, yeah, it'd go from there and then somebody would talk about there wasn't a big discussion going on all the time, but but I uh, shared it. My parents, uh, my dad passed away in 1997, and my mother was old five, and um, and I, I felt so fortunate that my parents lived long enough to see these major expeditions I did. Yeah. And um, and I I was uh, you know an outcast from the family for a while. I mean, you you do that when you <laughs> really. I mean, I you know I was one of the original divorces. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it used to be excommunication, mm-hmm. right? The whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. different values, and you know. So I mean, I, I've done other things in my life too, and uh, I've always you know tried my best on the straight and narrow. But uh, so, <laughs> but it was great to see you know. I think I think as part of your personal journey, sometimes you have to reject mm-hmm. values and everything mm-hmm. and go out on your own. And you always usually almost always come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and uh, but my parents to see they didn't i moved out of the city 
Uh, my goal since a child was to live in the wilderness, and my parents knew that. And I bought land in Ely and, and, um, when I was 19, and I was during the Vietnam War era, so that was right through the thick of it. From 18 to 25, I was right, right in the draft. Yeah. So I, I did deferments teaching in school and had two, two um, physicals where I could have gone in. But I, had my, uh, I didn't believe in the Vietnam War at all. It was just another war built on a lie. Yeah. And uh, so I was gonna move to Canada. I had my citizenship, citizenship papers. But, so I went through all of that. Which meant it was good in a way because it helped me to get my education. I, I was committed to ed the education because I, I wanted to teach. Um, I was interested in science. I got my degree in geology, biology, and uh, glaciology and ecology is what I specialized in in a teaching certificate. So then I taught for three years in Richfield Junior High Science. And at that time, I, worked, I got my master's at St. Thomas. So on 25 then, if you, um, being a male, you were free on your 25th birthday. So mm -hmm. I managed- In what well, sense? Free from the army. Oh, uh, from, the, from draft. the draft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. 25 then, I moved to the wilderness. And then, uh, but I don't think my, my parents totally you know, I was, I was confusing to them, I think, you know. Yeah. I said goodbye to, to me. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, well, this is right now, in this era. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of what, you you're, know. You were kind I, of the original. Right. And, it, well, you're original in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, rock, all of this stuff, mm -hmm. I, I think of REI. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I helped design the front of that store yeah, when beautiful. they built that store. That. Beautiful. And and I think about how popular the, the culture wall. is. Yeah, you that know? wall was a bit of a risk, but it, that yeah. design, but it just paid off. Right. It, it, it's a landmark Yeah. Uh, in that era, or that arena of climbing walls. It's mm -hmm. very good that oh. you did yeah. that. Incredible. Yeah. But it, it's just interesting because, you know, I would imagine as a young man, you know, I mean, you're, you're climbing and no one's, like you said, no one was climbing at that time, you know? This was in the 60s, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, yeah I mean, and, and look at the popularity. Now. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you're the person that helped make that cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and look at the rate of change. I mean, yeah. the, the, the analog, so we talk about the analog versus now sort of the digital world all the time, like... You know, I imagine moving up to Ely in the 60s, because I only knew northern Minnesota in the 70s as a kid. Um, it was pretty, it, there wasn't a lot, the pace of change was pretty slow up there. There was not a lot of difference between 1950s northern Minnesota and 1970s northern no, Minnesota, much. I'd say. Yeah. No, it was um, a wonderful time in my life. Just about all my life has been great, but. Um, there was no, like in Ely now, there's about a third of the population or outside of the, you know, the local people. But back then there was, I was, I don't, I didn't know anyone else that moved out. Um, but, uh, I got to know my friends were, I, I went into town to shop basically, but I sure. got to know the local people very close. Mm -hmm. That's 50 years ago. And I really love the people up there, mm -hmm. the Rangers. And, uh, but that yeah, was a good, it was a good move. And, um. The question was, how do I support myself? And um, um, I ended up, I heard about the school called Outward Bound, and yeah. I checked out there. I didn't have a car, and uh, I got hired. So that, that was actually a, two, a couple uh, op opportunities in my life was um, in being part of Geographic, and another big one was really Outward Bound. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to, there for the first time to that type of an outdoor education, because I, I had this vocation for education, I, I tell you, when I was younger, I didn't like school. It's dyslexic. Mm 
a little bit left-handed, had trouble. I was a slow learner uh-huh. in a, a corner, in a corner with all the slow learners. Where so yeah. I was pegged that way, but but uh, you know I had a hard time with grammar and that math, and um, but I I worked through that. But uh, but I, but I had this vocation for education. And I didn't know how that was going to play out, but when I went out to outward bound, it was just made sense there. And for the first time ever, I met other people. I mean, women that climbed, men yeah. that climbed. I was I was in in my realm and I I did real well in that society and I taught. You're still a great organization. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what what birth order were you? What? Second to the top. Which second is, to the okay. top. Good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good one. <laughs> seven, seven, seven under my uh-huh. my. And role. and how many brothers and sisters? Like do you have? Yeah, six boys and six. three girls. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Was, okay. We had adopted daughter too, so we had six. The ten actually. And okay. The, and the eldest is a boy or a girl. Boy, Tom, okay. you know, we had a lot of a lot of boys before. Early kept on. trying for a girl, but finally the girl came. <laughs> that's <what laughs> then another yeah. girl came. Yeah, uh-huh. that's. Uh, I finally have a little girl. So, yeah. not finally. I, I only have three children. Well, but it's a yeah, big, uh, big deal. It is a big deal. Um, so, second to the oldest is. Uh, are your siblings? Is able to? Were they always able to sort of take it out of you too? Like, yeah, big deal. Well. Who cares? No one cares about you and your expeditions, like like siblings are supposed to do. They, and we we got along well. There wasn't yeah. competition amongst us. And um, I had a couple of brothers that were um, adventurous too. Yeah. And, and the parents, of course, they. My brother biked across Canada. He was an early biker. He did these cross country biking. And I had a brother Bob that hopped freights and uh, hitchhiked around the country. And when he when he was a junior in high school, he had a stuttering problem. Okay. And uh, and at the end of the school year, the parents would various kids pack big lunches for him, and then drive him out to the end of the road, you know, the end, outside of the city, and then they would leave for the summer, come back in August. But Bob left in high school, hitchhiked to Seattle. Wait a minute. Who, yeah. He, who would? What? Yeah. You just kind of skip past this. This is not our era. <laughs> yeah. Who who packed who lunches and where did yeah, they it was go in the sixties? Oh, parents. to like go work yeah. for the kids to work. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, like but they would leave for the summer. <laughs> but, but but leave where hitchhiked, hitchhiked yeah. just well, wherever yeah he was just hitchhiked and he went out all around the country and and then he'd what show up in the fall again no he came back in the fall okay. yeah and he didn't stutter wow and he got his confidence wow you know, uh-huh. I mean, that, that's this type of life i i hop freight so the parents would leave me in the freight yard over here drop me off and you know right over here yeah because uh, yeah. we have the whole yard to right. seattle yeah. yeah i can't wait for my kids to hear this and what are you what are you bringing with you just like a do you have a stick or, on your yeah. shoulder with a with a backpack a pack with food in, yeah. in my, my case i would i'd be hitchhiking up to alaska or getting started uh-huh. on an expedition and, uh-huh. and the um i knew the yards the great northern yards and uh it was a little easier you can get information on that and I knew the route, so I would rather than hitchhiking to Montana, I'd have the freight because that was almost like a sure thing and get out in a day. And then from there, I would I would get hop off the freight and then start hitchhiking north, or I'd hitchhike I hitchhike back from Alaska five times <laughs> in high school, college, and then I'd usually have a choice of I get down to Montana, either take the train home or. Mm-hmm. And when you say take the train, hop the hop, train. Hop the yeah, train, hop the train. train. How did you? Yeah, how I mean, do how you, does that work? Well, what, like, I mean, I kind of have an idea, but uh, like, I think are you, of it like an empty freight car with hay on the bottom. Yeah, I don't know anything. Well, you know, it's 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 an interesting process. You, unlike uh, hitchhiking is easy. You need information. Yep. And uh, you have to be, you know, a little moxie too, because mm-hmm. I, I still mean, have friends well, who hop yeah, the trains every now and again. Yeah, there isn't. For fun. Uh, 
there's a lot of migrants, uh, uh, workers, and um, I met a lot of hobos. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And uh, great, great people, but you're still, you know, I was never paranoid, but you've mm-hmm. got to, you yeah. know, watch where you're safe, at at yeah. night. But, but, but in order to find a, the right train, because you go in the train yard, there's 14 tracks. For, yeah. You've got to get information. So usually you could get it from the switchman, the lineman, someone that was in the yard, and you just wait for an appropriate time and, and approach them and, and just ask them straight up, you're going this and that. And uh, they could tell you no or whatever. And a lot of them, you know, you were a kid. I looked like a baby, you know. I was like sure. 16 yeah. or looked like a 12-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the adults were, it was a different world. It was a very yeah. peaceful world mm-hmm. back then. And, and they would always always try to help you out. And you get the tr- certain track and a certain time and where it's going. And maybe you might get some other advice. Yep. And uh, but, you, but you need information, <laughs> and then yeah. once you get the information, it's extremely dangerous. You can get killed, you know. Under oh yeah, mm-hmm. right. Uh, I, I wouldn't advise anyone. Then when the nine eleven happened, then that changed everything. Mm. It was locked down mm-hmm. in the yards, and oh, um, sure. if anyone gives you information, they can lose their job. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a totally totally different world now. But but it was just part so of. So you haven't been out riding trains lately. Uh, I can't really say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, but I yeah. can't. I love it. No, but that's, your face yeah, up. I mean, that's a whole nother adventure. I mean, and, and so you and your siblings, you know, Couple or some brothers, of them, yeah, yeah did, did that, where you would just kind of leave and, and hop trains yeah. and, and explore the entire country. And, yeah, yeah. Just t- take off. I, I set the goal on that, but, but the parents, I went down the Mississippi River here in New Orleans and back when I was 15 in a mm-hmm. motorboat. And, in a uh, motorboat. Yeah, I was I was inspired. My first book was The Venture of Huck Finn, and I think sure. like many children, that totally inspired me. I mean, I was Huck. That was my deal. The river, I was always fascinated by rivers. When I was 12, I told my dad I, I wanted to go down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. And I told yeah. him, I didn't ask him, but I told him I wanted to do that. And he said, you can do it, but you need a good boat. So Yeah, what word, kind of boat? In other words, yeah, I had to work, but which was no problem. I bought... I was 12 going in at 13. I bought an old wooden boat. I used to caddy, cut lawns, usual, <laughs> save money. And I bought a wooden boat and an old motor. Then during the winter, I would fix it up mm-hmm. and then save more money and then trade it in. So I did three trade-ins. And then eventually my, my dad si- co-signed on a loan for two years at $60 a month, which was a huge amount of money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and then I had a, m- a good boat. And what, I, what, I, but... But what size? I mean, I'm trying to picture. Yeah, this, this I'm is a 16, 60s. 16 foot. 16 feet. foot with yeah. a with what sort with, of I had a engine? 40, 40 horse. Oh, that's wow. That's yeah. they were big. Yeah, you had a 40 back then. Though. That was a pretty it was big. Kind of big, and but there are a lot of uh, a lot of uh, mechanical trouble. Yeah, on the way down, and uh, so the mechanics and the gas took all the money. We, I mean, we could wire it back for money, but we had to pay it back. So we. Uh, we didn't. We were always hungry, of course, like young kids. And but everyone took us in on the way down, and sure. we met an old bum by the name of Semester, Sylvester uh, in New Orleans because we were out of money. We were, weren't going to ask for more money until we got it. Yeah. And, and he he taught us how to, you know, kind of live off the land. And, yeah. And uh, it was just a great thing. We were with him for hung out with him for two two weeks or more. And then you motored back up. Back up, but then we had all sorts of troubles and. It was the last of my motorized adventure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so who were you in the boat with? Yeah, I recruited my older brother, Tom, who was okay. 17. Okay, mm-hmm. he, okay. So, so he's 14, is that what you he's said? He's 17. Or seven, 17. Yeah. And you're, so, okay, so you're... <laughs> we were arrested in every, all the southern towns. They thought oh. we stole the boat. The oh. cops would bring us in, you know, middle of the night or whenever. 
and they'd call up the parents and they said, you know, we have the runaways and the parents would say, no, cops never gave you anything. Maybe they never cup, helped you. No, they never give you any food. Anything. <laughs> yeah, they were. They just give you a little hard time and hard time. And, yeah. And, uh, but we'd go to the station, and then uh, in these southern towns, we'd always ask if they drop us off in a used car lot, and they said, "Oh, yeah, sure, whatever." And but the oh, these guys in the used car lots always like to talk, and we'd you know BS with them for an hour. Or so then we'd ask them if we could stay in the station wagon because mm. we were so sick of the boat. Uh-huh. Yeah. The river. So then we'd hang out in town. <laughs> and then we'd hit up the priest, uh, you know. Yeah. We got five bucks here and there for yeah. food. Yep. And, you know, so you're saying you're, you're resourceful, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Just yeah. doing it. Well, that, I mean, that's, so now we're getting down to yeah. like, how, yeah, yeah exactly. Lot, lot, I mean, that's the, the, that's the training right there. Yeah. yeah. Resourceful. Uh, yeah. So my father tells me a story. My dad's seven years old. I don't know exactly how old he are, but roughly the same era, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he tells a story of at at 12 years old, big family, farm family. Uh, he got sent up on a on a Honda 50 to work up near Hibbing or something, mm. right? And so on his little scooter, it's a two day ride. He sleeps in the ditch on the way up. You know, someone packed him a couple of sandwiches. He gets up and he works on some farm for a week or two and decides he doesn't like the farmer. So he tells him off. I can imagine a twelve-year-old Ron telling telling someone off, and then I think she made him bake something because I've heard the story. She oh, made yeah, him yeah. bake something for a birthday party. Yeah, it, and then clean the dishes. He was upset, and he couldn't take a sh- couldn't take a bath, and he was like, "That's it, I'm done." Couldn't take another day of it. Yep. So he woke up the next morning, got on his Honda fifty, two days back, tooling on gravel roads, no sandwiches in his pocket that time. I don't think. <laughs> And he gets back, and my my grandmother, you know, his mother sees him come through the door and says, well, it looks like Ron's back. And, then, you know, <laughs> and that's it. I have a 12-year-old. You don't send 12-year-olds on Not a two-day two uh, adventure. No. You can't send them around the block. Right. <laughs> right. No, truthfully, unfortunately. No, I know. I, I, yeah. it's, it's funny because I send my boys, my 12- and 10-year-old, to various places around our area yep. on their own purposefully because they need to learn to be able to mm-hmm. navigate themselves yeah. from place to place yep. mm-hmm. so. how long was that boat ride that you <laughs> that's a lot uh, it was easy to go down river mm-hmm. so yeah we went back we got down in a couple of weeks and we were in new orleans for almost three weeks we hung out uh-huh. with sylvester and um and then uh we came up it took us over probably five weeks to get up because mm-hmm. we had mm-hmm. constant motor, motor trouble right stayed in towns and that was in the long run, it was great because we met met all these people. Right, and uh, it was, was it tiller driven? Just curious. No, it's steering it, wheel. Okay, so it yeah. had a steering wheel. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, man, that's uh, all right. So that was one of the summers. Yeah. Well, how how did you top that? Yeah. Did you? Well, do I started climbing then when I was sixteen. Okay. Yeah. And then I, you know, no more motors for me. I mean, I right. had, I had the was... motorboat. We used to water ski all the time. Yeah. And uh, but. And then start climbing, and then kayaking. I mean, water. Mm-hmm. Being, I think, being Minnesota, water mm-hmm. was always a big deal. So I always did water north. Was I think very natural mm-hmm. thing to do. And it gets in your blood too. Once you yeah, get I got hooked north. on the north, and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's. Uh, do they? I, were there a lot of locks and dams? I'm just trying to figure yeah, out like how you have to navigate that. I think something like that. Because it's mostly barges, and yeah, like there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of. Uh, 
just pleasure motors they, going they, up and they down. They do let you up and down, though, mm. accordingly. Sometimes we'd go in with a barge. but Yeah. But the, the rules. But, but two kids in a boat just cruising down. I mean, <laughs> they must, yeah, of course you got picked up. What are those two doing? I got, stealing a I boat. I got picked up in Madison yeah. at 11 years old in a boat, come mm. to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and told I had to go take boater safety if I ever wanted to go out again by myself. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, 11. that was a nice guy. That well, he taught boater safety too. Oh. So the guy, the <laughs> sheriff, who picked me up. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's fun. So uh, so you live up in in Ely, you, your institute. It looks like that's coming along really well. Yeah, I I spent um, I'm at least six months down here in the city. Come down after Labor Day. So kill back you up this here? year, first of May. I, I work on the non my mon, nonprofits, climate generation, particularly connected. Right. Uh, committed to uh, climate and then the Steger Center for Environmental for um, Innovation and Leadership is what I'm now working on lifelong project but but uh, so I'm you know committed to doing good works and so forth that's pretty much what I did with all my life committed myself do you remember the first time sort of like when you when climate change was sort of hitting you like when yeah. you became aware of that i taught climate actually in my six uh, my my science classes in, mm. in the late 60s hmm. so i was all, and i kept weather records since i was eight so i've always been since fascinated. you were eight yeah eight years old like an, that, like an almanac what do you mean like what well, yeah you had, had to a, get ready to go down the river had a thermometer and then i got <laughs> right. you know stuff in the paper every day. yeah and i was just fascinated always been fascinated by astronomy and Mm-hmm. Uh, weather and then predicting the weather, studying the clouds, reading everything I could get on it, and uh, I wanted to be a climatologist actually when I was younger, but I couldn't do the math. Uh-huh. I did geology instead, and so I've always been and I've always studied it. And uh, in expeditions too, that I do, the a lot of critical decisions based on weather, mm-hmm. and uh, so that my knowledge of that really, my intuitive knowledge particularly like that and then also certain signs you're always reading the wind and the clouds absolutely isn't like all of a sudden you smell the air and it looks like rain but you're you're always you know just observing you're it's like reading. a sixth mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. yeah it's a sixth sense and weather weather's like tv in a way it's just a nice thing mm-hmm. to be involved in so uh so i i uh i've never quite heard it like that yeah. it's a nice thing to get involved in yeah yeah <laughs> like it's, tv it's, it's what's happening yeah so every <laughs> once all, in a while you know what's happening no you're you're right yeah. every once in a while when i'm sitting here i'm like wow everything's super 3d <laughs> like oh. like wow it's you know like yeah. you have those crystal images <laughs> like it's re- yeah, we got 3D. a lot of depth going right. on here all right tv it's better than tv <laughs> <laughs> that's funny stuff but but yeah so you've always been involved in that involved and i also through my you know my big one of my breaks was with Ch- annie griffin a photographer and jim brennenberg they introduced me to geographic in 84 and that was like a lifelong dream. But and then they they were I did three articles for for them over time on my expeditions. But they they were one of our uh, they did the article in the North Pole in '86, and immediately then I had contacts uh, with climatologists and that like in Washington D.C. It kind of sure. elevated my position where yeah. I could just get in there. And 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 the polar regions in that time was classified because of the Cold War. Uh, oh, any any really? satellite photos you couldn't get any of that. But I. I got in with scientists and got all, you know, I did get all that to study and and uh, so I, at that level and for so in, in Antarctica too in the Scott Polar Institute, uh, large, uh, it's the hub of polar science in the world in, in Cambridge, England. 
uh, knew a lot of those scientists because that's where the information was. And it was like friendly, like us talking. It come mm-hmm. in, yeah. And we'd talk and ask questions and, and I'd come back a year later. So, so I was always attuned totally right to the, with the science and the latest data on that. And in, uh, in 19, um, uh, we did Antarctica in 89-90. We crossed it. Uh, in 87, I was at Cambridge with a bunch of scientists, climatologists, and they brought me in this room. They looked over their shoulder, closed the door, and they made me promise that they wouldn't, I wouldn't repeat what they're saying because back then, any information giving out climate, they could lose their jobs. Really? Because it was that hot. They told me about the Larsen Ice Shelf, that they were seeing something, uh, some activity that they thought was climate uh, um, um Related. responsible yeah. and uh so it was interesting stuff and we crossed that two years later we crossed the larson a b and c ice shelves and and we landed on on the larson a actually that was the smallest one it was the largest land feature i ever saw in my life but then in 2002 12 years later the larson b ice shelf suddenly collapsed mm-hmm. yeah. i mean half mm-hmm. the size of wisconsin and it was catastrophic i mean what what it meant to about where the that was my wake-up call I mean, they they couldn't have predicted what happened. They knew something mm-hmm. was going on, right. but, uh, and that was when in '02 is when I came down to the city to start the climate movement. And yeah, uh, I mean, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Day. Uh, it's not yeah. like we haven't known. You can you can follow yeah. you can follow news articles back 100, 200 years. No people predicting change mm-hmm. as a result of yeah. man. No one ever predicted uh, what really what what's happening now. Yeah, I mean, this, right. is, this is absolutely. But I saw it coming twenty, you know, eighteen years ago. Yeah, and no one was even aware of it. And uh, there wasn't so much of the denying at that time because there wasn't really anything to deny. It wasn't in. It was in the politics, some, but it, it started out still with resistance, but uh, but then it hunkered down. You know, in '09. Uh, it got worse in the, 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 this awful denying situation that we're in right now. The same thing about the uh, virus that we're dealing with, lots of misinformation, and you know it's going to be a real catastrophe because of our, the climate is already because we denied. And, um, right. and, uh, and the virus, I think it's the same thing. That Who knows what's going to happen here, but uh, we, we politicized everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's really too bad, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we squa- squash science. I mean, yeah, why are we yeah. doing that? <laughs> uh, it's politics. politics. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but politics. I mean, we, we're never going to get away from politics. It's bad no. politics no. because there can be good. We need yeah. discourse. Yes, yeah, civil we, discourse. Yeah, yeah, yeah we need civil. politics. We yeah. need politicians. We need people running. Well, it's, of course, yeah. Like, you, but, yep. But we need we need good ones. Yeah. But I think but, part part of yeah. that is like what you've done your entire yeah. life is yourself teaching yourself. Yeah how to, it starts with the weather, with your expedition, so from the micro to the macro, you are, um, yourself, you're teaching yourself mm-hmm. and you're informing yourself mm-hmm. and I think every person has that duty to also do that. Very true, very true. I mean, it's, we always, uh, with politics, social issues were always, that's what all, uh, politics is about. Right. But we never saw, uh, up until 20 years ago, the anti-science, science when we mm-hmm. listened to science and that, that was the issue that happened. That really is going to cost us a lot, but yeah, yeah. And anti-science. I mean, it just seems so ridiculous to Do me. Do you have hope for the future, though, that the younger generation is? Yeah, I I think the younger things? generation is well equipped. Their values, mm-hmm. I mean, values and habits. Twenty years ago, we thought, well, how do we set? Well, how do we change 
values? How do we change habits? Well, the youth, youth now, mm-hmm. are, are I think very well poised for this. Uh, I've never had a climate argument with a young person, no. so I mean they understand it, and it's kind of a flip flop where, actually, the younger kids are in many ways wiser than older people, mm-hmm. at least in their bigotry and their mm-hmm. knowledge right. and stuff. Um, so there, there's a lot of hope. Uh, the hope is really, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. The, the economy now, I approached uh, the climate several different ways through education and social engagement. But uh, I really, my main push was economics and, and uh, jobs that we would, 18 years ago, I, I saw that we would have a whole new economy, clean energy, conservative conservation of energy, replacing the infrastructure exactly we what we're doing and, and it would be the new economy with lots of jobs trades jobs hands-on jobs mm-hmm. engineering anybody with engineering degrees but i saw it as an opportunity to bring people out of poverty mm-hmm. yep. that was mm-hmm. I, i've always been just disturbed about uh, the situation across the river here in north minneapolis that this plight could happen in our city and you have so many do good people that uh, are just ignoring our plight there but but really to get out of poverty you need jobs and that you this do. was the opportunity mm-hmm, i saw mm-hmm. 20 years ago the revolution that we're seeing now mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. have talked about it and sort of rant, romanticized the idea of uh bringing back something similar to the ccc because mm-hmm. i think we need we need large public works where where younger people are engaged in something that's beneficial to the future but also learning skills and learning to organize themselves and being paid mm-hmm. decently for it mm-hmm. uh, because the you know the CCC as far as I know it only ran for three or four years but it it had a big impact on a generation of, <coughs> of younger people to yeah. organize and get yeah. things done yeah so I work with the Minnesota Conservation Corps last almost 15 16 years and that's young kids you generally under 18 and they they work for the DNR they're they're paid Okay. Uh, they have certain hours, and just a great group of people. But they go out and they do make trails. They live. They they do volunteer work at my place up at the center. Sure. Uh, that's one of my favorite organizations. And these kids, um, they're both r- rural and city. Yeah. And, and a really cross culture. So so the groups of eight usually, a couple of counselors. They're they're well managed for you know anything comes up they deal with it right away if there's any problems. But and there's not many problems in it. And right. they, they, a lot of them sing when they're working. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but they they honestly, God, I can I can tell character by the way a, a person digs a hole. Oh, absolutely. No. I mean, yeah. in terms of concentration. And these kids were were they all learned this work ethic that mm-hmm. is incredible. Uh, I mean, just that alone is is precious for lifelong. Mm-hmm. But they they and then and then a lot of them they it's a usual system a great system where. If the kid excels, then they can become a, a staff. Usually, the lower staff, and they work up. So the sure. staff, staff is made up of past uh, students. Of course, and uh, and it's just the most wonderful organization. And they do a lot of public works for us that we're not even aware of. Yeah. And uh, all of our trails up uh, north are probably down around in here. They specialize in trails. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a so working at camps and knowing knowing the history of a lot of these camps when they were founded in the 30s and 40s which most of them were Mm. uh generally speaking they were built by the first campers who went up there and and so there you know someone had a sawmill they milled the lumber they built the cabins they cleared the land they did whatever they needed to do to get them built and then 
four or five generations down the road, like I had a hard time convincing uh, the people above me just to let me have kids help repair canoes and yeah. you know fix things. Like, I mean, you're sort of creating you're creating this problem of affluence where you mm-hmm. like and these comfort, kids, yeah, yeah, or what mm-hmm. these kids can't get their hands dirty mm-hmm. too. Like they mm-hmm. that actually is very good for them. They should be out building something mm-hmm. for a while this summer. So. I love it. Well, I was thinking, you know, after all the stuff you've seen, the places you've been, is there a place that you haven't seen yet that you would like to go to and explore? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm more interested in the north. I'm mm-hmm. traveling in areas right now. I do a solo every year in this country, um, in the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, by them. So that area, the barren, barren lands, I'm really fascinated mm-hmm. by very beautiful, very isolated area so i don't have any desire to travel you know, mm-hmm. I, I did cause on expeditions i traveled a lot for uh, my commitment uh, to the countries and so forth but mm-hmm. but uh to me the best place in the world is ely minnesota i mean i was fortunate to find my home early on and, right and I, I mean if i was canadian you know yellow knife is where i'd live i i really wanted to live in british columbia as a kid and that's almost one of the dreams i never totally followed through with it but i'm i'm okay with it uh, <laughs> you can't get them all you know you can't do it all <laughs> right being canadian right now is <laughs> it's um I'm, I'm i'm actually canadian at heart I, yeah you're I, honorary uh-huh. canadian i, I have a i'm right at home with canadians i just like it's home it's like your yeah. studio here it feels mm-hmm. that good mm-hmm. i love the people and i relate to the people and uh but i love america the freedom you mm-hmm. know of course i wouldn't leave the country but uh, but you know, so when when you do, I'm just curious. When you do a solo, are you are you just hiking? Yeah, right now what I'm doing is um, I have a canoe with runners, mm-hmm. so I call it canoe hauling. So with that <coughs> canoe, I can haul. I usually leave at the end of winter, you know, okay. so I get some winter. This year I'm I'm leaving right right at spring, a little later. But but I generally then with that canoe sled I. I can haul that. I follow rivers and lakes. Yep. So it's like a toboggan. It's pretty tough hauling, but then <laughs> once it like starts it. thawing, um, when you're on ice, you know, once you get down to ice, I can go 25, sometimes 30 miles a day on ice, sure. whereas hauling through the snow, eight, eight miles, 10 miles is really a tough day. And then, I, um, then I'm on the water when I'm paddling, but I'm on rivers. How does it paddle? Uh, paddle's pretty good. I mean, I'm not... Uh, traveling across big lakes for a long period of time but but i purposely uh but i started doing the rivers seven years ago because my ultimate fear was cold water running water being swept under the ice so i thought well deal with that fear here and i always always been doing canoe sledding for like 40 years so i and i built up a whole expertise of how to do it and the dry suit and so forth and uh, but it's extremely dangerous uh, especially if you're not paying attention. And, and it's, it, for me, it's a great thing because I'm constantly in the moment. Whereas climbing, you're in the moment at that time and then you're celebrating or talking to your girlfriend or whatever, that one movie, a Free Solo. Yeah. You, you know, got the top and he's instantly on a cell phone. But he's definitely <laughs> in the moment when he's climbing. But, right. but, but on these expeditions, I'm in the moment all the time. Yeah, Every, how long are you out? I'm out. Last year, I did 90 days. Hmm. Okay. So, wow. so you're, you, this is a solo adventure. Yeah. Right? Coming up. Well, yeah. you're just right back in that mental space. Yeah, then th- this is it's different because I'm there all the time. I, yeah, you know, honestly, I, that space is. Um, it takes a week or so to 
clear your mind and mm-hmm. the thoughts disappear. And you know, I think once in a while. I mean, it's not like I'm meditating or anything like that all the time, but but I'm always present in the moment with any change, all the animals, all the tracks. Um, I have to be that way to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you're in the moment, like it's a dangerous section of the river with current flowing under the ice. When you look at all that, you freak out maybe, but you approach it moment by moment. Mm-hmm. One, mm-hmm. One what do you mean? Like mm-hmm. it, So I, I, I'm envisioning a big chunk of ice and then the, the water's going under, and then you would go underneath the ice? No, no, that's the idea here. <laughs> you know? Like what's that mean? Like, you ever see the Mississippi River in the winter? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. I'm traveling on rivers yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so, so the water and the ice are, are, I'm guessing, at roughly the same level most of the time. Yeah. You know, you know okay. so, so you're, because I've been in places where it's still frozen. Yeah. Right. And, uh, like, I don't know what you're doing because it's different than what I would be doing. Um, but, but I imagine you're, you're on occasion getting on top of the ice then and finding your way to shore. And yeah, I might water. travel along the shore. I might yeah. line. Uh, Sometimes the the water drops, of course, and there's a, there's a difference there. Yep, a little shelf. Uh, whatever, and sometimes I'm actually traveling on the river, yep. uh, avoiding it, uh, avoiding certain situations. So I'm, I'm back and forth, in and out of water, and on ice a lot, So and paddling. I didn't, we didn't ask anything about, you know, wife, kids, family. I imagine if someone needs to know those things, they can look them up, you know? Oh, yeah, I've been married three times. Okay. I, I have three great wives. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sounds I, like you're appreciative of each of them as yeah, humans. Totally, totally, yeah. absolutely. I mean, we were in love and still are. And, yeah. But, you know, I, I tried sincerely to try, try to do the settled down life, and, you know, I just learned that. That's. Does not, anyone miss you when you're gone on these 90 <laughs> days out in the wilderness? Do you check That's, in? I have lots of friends. Yeah, actually, uh, actually, people want to watch. They, I call in on these solos. I call in every day. I have a uh, satellite phone, which is mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. I call into a voice message machine that ha- gives me four minutes. Okay. And then I talk about the day. Hmm. And, uh, and, and it's unusual because I've listened to it. A lot of times I, I'm wondering if anyone's out there, but I'm talking. <laughs> sure. But, I, but I, I'm relaxed when I'm talking. Uh, but and I listen to those later when I'm back, and, and I'm surprised about how candid I am. Hmm. I mean, I might have a bear attack or something, and I almost have forget. Bear almost attacks? forget. I got I had one two years ago, but I almost forgot to talk about it that evening because it's almost like I was over and you know whatever. Once it's done. But so I, I do have a pretty nice following, and I, actually I can check in yeah. later with you. I'll be leaving in mid-May. I mean, the virus here, who knows what's, who's going to be traveling anywhere. Well, right. Yeah, but, but I'm scheduled to leave in mid-May, and uh, if you want to do that, we could do it. That's cool. Oh. I mean, that's interesting that you've got this record then mm-hmm. of, of a daily login. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I journal. I've journaled all my life every day of every expedition, uh-huh. about 45 as a writer. Uh, it's a good discipline, but in the morning, I have like almost 45 minutes off where I'm melting wa- ice in the water and oatmeal. So I routinely write, and it's a very, very good space to write in when, when you're just totally calm. And, and do you, you have the journals of, of years gone by? Yeah, I have my archives actually at St. Thomas. I'm mm. working with them on a contract. Uh, I mean, I, I started fo- photographing when I was eight. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, that's another I have, question. I have a eh? whole record of everything I've done. Did you do a lot of the photography on all of your expeditions? Yeah, too? I did mm-hmm. all the stills. Okay, I, I've done the, the movie and video before. I, I shot sixteen millimeter in high school, <laughs> and on expeditions, I kept losing my cameras. You know, you'd wor- you work for six months, and then the camera would go down the drain. They didn't have waterproof cases. No, no. 
And, uh, but there used to be the 16 millimeter, millimeter um, uh, uh, Air Force cameras, and they were cheap. And they had the, the 16 millimeter cartridge that you could slide yeah. in. Very expensive. But yeah, I shot, used to do shoot. I always shot all my life. Yeah. I, and uh, that's always been a writing and shooting and designing part of the. Do you know how to draw? Yeah, I do. I, I can't. Sketchy. I'm not an artist, but I, I do sketch a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I, I will I'll sketch. I mean, I, I prefer diagrams and sketches because it's mm -hmm. worth a. Mm -hmm. oh, 10,000 words and yeah sure and, uh, I mean Will right? did you ever think like when you were when you were taking those shots that you know it would lead to what it's led to I mean I, I mean of course you kind of yeah. can't but but you're yeah. documenting yeah. as you're mm -hmm. going mm -hmm. I, you know I, I knew where I was going uh, when you have a vision like that of course you don't know the details but I, I thought it was amazing in my life because it's it's almost like the model I have for education is like education it is really get the curiosity of the student. If a student is curious about something, uh, they'll just do whatever they'll to do it. They'll consume anything they yeah, can to uh, figure uh, out more. Yeah, I yeah. had a great uh, Japanese friend of mine that was a ed big educator, and well-known educator in Japan 30 years ago. He said his story was that uh, he was lived in Tokyo and he wanted to learn about fly fishing and there's no information, but there were chi old Chinese men in, in a certain section of Tokyo that only knew Chinese, but they knew about fly fishing. So he, he learned Chinese in order to learn his <laughs> learning fly fishing, and, and that's very true. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So in my life, I, you know, National Geographic was huge, and it was huge, I think, with a lot of us younger mm -hmm. well, people my age. But, but there it was me. I, I mentioned it was that uh, I wrapped my dreams around the, around the photographs. Uh -huh. But then I ended up doing three articles in Geographic, and I ended up getting their, you know, not bragging, but it's their, the Gorris Medal, I think the gold medal that's been only given out 17 times to Emory I've heard you won some few awards, yeah. And, and I, I found it amazing that here I was as a child <laughs> with Geographic, and yeah. I ended up with their top yeah. award. Yeah. And I think yeah. anyone, anyone that mm -hmm. has this dream of what they wanted to do, you're capable of doing mm -hmm. all this. And it was just an affirmation of, yeah, that is, that is right. That the dream, the dream is powerful, and having that freedom to uh, uh, pursue that dream and also to if the uh, society or parents or whatever are against you as long as you're on that road of path of, of goodness and mm -hmm. I, I chose that path as a young kid I always did things the right right way and a lot of times I had to go r around certain things longer because I wasn't going to cheat I was just going to yep. do it right and, and I wasn't driven by guilt I, that was the, just the, the, the just you know that's your choice in life but as long as you're uh, on that path of goodness, uh, you know, am amazing things happen to you. Mm -hmm. So when I was younger, you know, I, when I moved to the wilderness, uh, I, I walked out, you know, I was Catholic, I just, you know, walked out of that and, and society in general. Mm -hmm. And then I had to consider, okay, what, how do I live or whatever and what happens and you die. I mean, I went through all that stuff for about a year and a half. And then I re realized, just live the life of goodness. And I had faith that, uh, I was a person of experience, and I, I was all about awareness. I wanted awareness mm -hmm. through experience. I knew if I followed that, with and I had faith in that, that as you get older the, and you get more experience, the, the right things come to you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think about mm -hmm. when you're 30 what goes on when you're whatever. Mm -hmm. all, if you're living you it right, it, it all come to you. Yeah, you don't have to worry flow, about it. You know, so right? just if you relax with it more, mm -hmm. it will come to you. Mm -hmm. We yeah. talk about that a lot on mm -hmm. there with, well, amongst mm -hmm. ourselves and with, with 
various guests. It seems to be it, it, it's almost a connecting as if, theme. We were just Jim and I were just saying that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. almost if, as if like because of what we've done, it we're pulling in that kind uh-huh. of energy. But uh-huh. um, you know, just understanding that they're whatever it is, we can try and define it through religion or or other means. But there is some sort of there's some sort of force of yeah. some energy, kind uh-huh. out there doing something mm-hmm. and if you and just it, relinquish yourself to it and, and do good yeah. and it definitely happen. seems like you've been tapped into that your entire life i mean because a lot of when when i listen to you talk mm-hmm. i mean that sort of instinct that sort of pull like you're mm-hmm. just kind of pulled in a direction mm-hmm. you know and you believe in it and it's led you yeah well there's there's two two worlds basically it's the world that we live in which is our belief system and we formulate that and we actually make things happen by our thoughts it's not a religious thing it's just something mm-hmm. that we are and and, and uh, you know thoughts are energy basically and uh, but we're always so much hung up in thinking and we get we get taken down also by reacting to something rather than I mean I, I've learned that um, endurance is about giving not fighting. You know, I've seen strong men fight, and they really suffered for it. But then there's yeah. the other world of the real world of reality. You know, it's a, it's it's in that present moment. It is not tomorrow or the next day, and and it's not that complicated. But it's so simple that, you know, it's like trying to hold air in your hand. And but then we're all kind of chasing after that through formulating in our mind, and uh, that's that's the power of the wilderness. And a lot of us in Minnesota have been yes. fortunate because we. You know, we have an opportunity to canoe or whatever, and you, you have an you, experience. You sense with that you've, mm-hmm. you've done it in your river trips, yeah, or yeah. we do it when mm-hmm. on a beautiful day we're we're there in that moment, or mm-hmm. you're when you're dancing, you're in that moment. Mm-hmm. Jim's Jim's art is a reflection of that same. It, it, well, yeah, and and when you say holding air, you know, the title of some of these is just framing atmosphere. Yeah, you know, right it's there. it's very much a goal yeah. of of yeah. me. Mine, you know, in art is, is how do you hold something that you think, you know, there's a structure here Uh and, you know, right here, but you don't necessarily see it. And letting your mind, giving it some peace to wander. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's. You get lost in his paintings. Whether it's, you know, through meditation or yoga or wilderness travel or meditating in front of art or whatever, you've got these means by which you can sort of shut down, Mm -hmm. shut down your, the one voice that's talking to the other voice in the head and let let things be in harmony for a little bit and think mm-hmm. about life. I know I've always found it through through really through fishing and canoe tripping, but right. Yeah, it's that time that you spend with yourself, you know? Yeah. That's sort of the process of mm-hmm. things, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that relationship that you have with yourself during those moments. So we uh we often ask people kind of toward the end uh what you do for fun. <laughs> yeah, well, what do you do for fun? That's a great smile. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, and everybody's got a different uh, different take on what fun is. So it sounds sounds to me like in a lot of ways you've always done what you found fun. I, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's that's what I, you know, that's fun. Yeah. Doing mm-hmm. what you're, what you, who you are and what you're doing. You know, I party and whatever, have fun with people. I mean, I'm social. I'm a closet introvert. I can, mm-hmm. I'm totally okay alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I'm traveling in these dangerous situations on solo, it's really intimate, and I'm of alone. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yet, I'm you know social and all that. So, uh, I mean, I, I love I love the uh, the community here in uh, the metropolitan Minnesota, and I really enjoy being down here. 
Mm -hmm. I love the wilderness. I mean, if I if I wasn't committed to climate and so forth, I'd be probably more uh, in the wilderness writing. My, my one of the goals I, I have in my life, my final thing is I want I need to get back to writing, because mm -hmm. I I re always felt that writing was the most um, important legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, I have you know, you your program is called Legacy, but um, I, I always thought uh, long term, and I I do have a legacy that I hope if it works out, you know, it was my legacy has always been expeditions, but the other one is the Climate Generation, my nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I have fourteen uh, people there, but that that uh, represents my lifelong work in environment and education, and then uh, the center up in Ely, which is innovation and leadership. So that. That's what I hope to, you know, it's not easy doing nonprofits. Sometimes you're right on right. the edge. Our, our climate gen is very stable, yeah. and I'm, I'm just starting. We're just starting to roll now uh, up in Ely. And uh, so, you know, I, I do commit myself to a legacy, and my life has been very pers purposeful, and I've always dealing hardships of having money, not having money. Most, you know, it's really tough. Uh, I've never met any other person like me that takes uh, takes on a project absolutely e will put everything at stake all, all, anything I have uh, most people have a low tolerance to stress of, of losing everything especially when they're older but you know that's how it is it's the edge and that's how mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. how you yep. make it mm -hmm. yep well I uh, I do think you know you've got a fantastic history that has laid out uh, and even you know, a wonderful legacy, and I hope you find time to mm. to write more because mm -hmm. I, I do think there's a, a certain different type of empathy you receive through reading. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so find yeah. some time. Yeah. And the rest of it, I you know, I'm aware of uh, climate generation. I didn't, you know, I don't know yeah. the origins of everything, but I, mm. it's great work and. Mm love it all so we really appreciate you yeah coming. thanks yeah, thank for you doing for it well yeah. Yeah. thank you it's been great yeah like i said I, I, you gave me the opportunity to talk here and you sent me the link and i looked at the happy faces <laughs> of everyone I, I looked at you know who was who and never listened to what it was yeah but it's been fun here very well not oh, everyone you guys time. are very very special here yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you thank you, you thank you thank you can i sleep on your couch take a nap? <laughs> yeah, oh sure, yeah no problem sure yeah you comfortable can, it is yeah. here i tell you what i will say this uh any any amount of uh, talking that you want to do or other people that you want to send in to get yeah, any messages yeah. yes. out. Yeah, that's a good mm -hmm. point. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. always welcome yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. References are references always are the good. best. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of great people out there, and I yeah, and meet, meet a lot of good people. Listening to long-form audio conversations isn't isn't everybody's thing, yeah. but there are people drawn to it, and yeah. I, mm -hmm. I hope they get it's something It's a basic it. human uh, need, right? It is. You're, you're really right. I mean, mm -hmm. it's... We're, we're so stuffed with information that mm -hmm. we think it's so exciting, whatever, but it mm -hmm. doesn't, it's kind of worthless. It's not fulfilling. It really is. No one really cares, <laughs> you know? No, but so, you touch like you're doing here with, yeah. by heart. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, it's honest. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just really, really enjoy the people in our community, and I think there's, uh, you know, We've, we live amongst fantastic people, mm -hmm. uh, both known and unknown. Mm -hmm. So we like talking. Great. But All right. Thanks thank for the interview. Guys. Thank, yeah. you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Will. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. 
We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care.